This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. Hi, welcome to CT Startup, the Avon Connecticut edition. This is Andrea Stahl. I'm here with Dave Menard from Rotha Kalina. Chris Tomorrow from Sublime Exposure Online. All right, and we are here with Naomi Tussin of Naomi Jewelry. Hi, Naomi. Hello. Thank welcome. you for having me. Sure. Thank you. It's good to be here. Tell us about Naomi Jewelry. Naomi Jewelry is based out of Avon, Connecticut. And we are a fashion jewelry line, sterling silver, that's brushed very deeply with pearl accents. We appeal to an audience of women who like something different and something that's wearable for work, for play. Um, it's a wearable line. It's really nice. I've seen it online. So NaomiJewelry.com is your website. NaomiJewelry.biz, B-I-Z. Oh, sorry, .biz. And you should all go look at it right now because it's gorgeous. And you have a number of collections, uh, but you have a really signature look, I would say. Um, sort of chunky, substantial, uh, and your pieces are all made in the United States. Yes, we're American-made now. In the beginning, I was made um, offshore. My squares came from Bali. Mm. A wonderful um, man was helping me there, and I knew I had to become, I wanted to become American made. Yeah. Now, how long have you been doing this? Naomi Jewelry started in 2003. I was actually on vacation. My daughter wanted to make beaded necklaces, and we walked into a store in Keene, New Hampshire. Okay. While she was looking at hemp and beads, I spotted sterling silver squares hanging next to little twisted rings. Okay. And I saw an idea for a necklace. I asked the woman at the store, what do I need to yeah. make a necklace? So she brought me over to the, the department where there were tools, um, showed me how to start and end a necklace. I went back to where we were staying, created the necklace that I had seen in my mind, liked it enough that I bought out all of the sterling silver squares uh -huh. and little twisted <laughs> rings that the store had and realized that I didn't have enough to do anything with them. Right. Um, went online to research Bali silver because that's what I knew mm -hmm. about the squares had been on the tag <laughs> and connected with this company out of Bali, this wonderful man who said, I can make them for you. Uh -huh. So for 12 years, the squares were made for me in Bali, and our relationship was email, wire transfer, because uh -huh. that's how long ago this is, uh -huh. and FedEx. I would love to watch where the, the beads were coming from. Um, about three or four years ago, I realized I wanted to be American-made. Yeah. Um, I needed to make sure the quality was where it needed to be, and it was important to me through a network that I had with jewelry designers and people in the, um, the, the trade, was introduced to someone who could make the pieces for me in a different way. It 
was apparent to me that I couldn't have them made here in the States the way they had been made in Bali and have my pieces still be affordable. Oh. So this was interesting. I had to do research into this new industry for me to figure out a way to have them made here, and we do it now. So the manufacturing is different, but the product is the same. Uh Uh-huh. So what's fascinating about the story is you were not a jeweler. You, you were on a shopping trip and, you know, from this happenstance moment in a store in New Hampshire, you know, grew this idea. Um, so, I mean, that's really inspirational to people who are entrepreneurs, um, who think that they are starting, because you are already, you know, an adult with a family. You know, you weren't 20 years old. Right. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't 20 right. years old. <laughs> so um, this is a startup that came along, you know, when you were ready for it as an adult with a family. You know, that is a, a subset of entrepreneurs that are often overlooked. Um, frankly, especially among women, that, you know, you know my shtick here, which is there's uh, a hidden uh, community of female entrepreneurs who were often underserved by the traditional lenders, um, you know, accelerators, incubators, even through the business schools. Um, there is a constant, and I won't get, I won't get all me too on you. I, I, I don't feel that way. I'm not angry about it. I'm just, there it is. No, no. I mean, the, the, the three men on the podcast uh, would be, you know, are normally just keeping their eyes down and not looking at the floor and trying not to interject. <laughs> Handshakes only. Good. Um, no, I mean, you know, so, so, you know, here we are, you know, with a thumb on a scale, but oftentimes women businesses bloom at the time when a woman has confidence from previous success, in your case, we won't go into a big, long story, but I mean, you, you, you owned and managed a different business. And then because you had the confidence from that success, you felt as if you could take on this new startup. It's more common for women to start up a business, you know, later in life. And here you are with this, you know, fantastic story. But let, let's go back to Naomi Jewelry. Um, so how do you sell today? Today I sell through retail outlets, mostly brick and mortars. We are careful about who we select to introduce the line to. Um, there is a clothing line that we look terrific with. Mm-hmm. and what we've done is take a look at the towns where this product is sold. We know that our customer who wears this line of clothing and our jewelry will understand value and something that's strikingly different and will pay for jewelry of quality. Yes. And we we do very well in gallery stores. Mm -hmm. We know that our competition isn't just jewelry. We are in an environment like that. Um, People walk into a store like that looking to buy a gift or a gift for themselves, Mm -hmm. which is something that I would do a lot of the time. And you don't know what it's going to be. It it could be a, a textile. It could be something out of fabric. It could be a sculpture. It could be pottery. And we do well in that environment mm-hmm. because we are different. What we like to say is that we look great in the display case, and then we also look terrific on the customer. And that's one of the things that we tell the stores. So our customer isn't just the end user. 
not just the woman who is purchasing the piece for herself or somebody who's purchasing it as a gift. Our customers are also the stores. Mm -hmm. So we need to let them know what we understand about our customer. And that's why we really take a hard look at who these stores are so we know that we can go in there with all the information we need for them to understand that we're a great fit. Right. So is, is this jewelry only sold in Connecticut? Uh, no, actually. We're down the eastern seaboard. We yeah. go from Maine and just um, this month um, got into a store in Washington, D.C. And do you, uh, do you sell the jewelry online? We sell it online through other jewelry sites. Mm -hmm. um, there is an online boutique out of the U.K., where Naomi Jewelry has a boutique in that um, in their platform. And up until now, we have not sold it on our own website. I didn't want to compete with my stores. Mm -hmm. But the stores are comfortable with that now, and we would never undercut. We have a suggested manufacturer's price on our um, online store. But the first collection that we're going to sell online will be the Elizabeth Collection, which is a donation line. It was created to honor a friend um, from here in Avon. And the proceeds from this entire collection go to support um, the Center for Integrative Medicine at St. Francis Hospital here in Hartford. So, so uh, as we had discussed before we started the podcast, we, do, we don't practice gotcha. Um, stuff here, but I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I think one of the challenges that uh, online entrepreneurs are going to have is there was a, just a Supreme Court ruling the other day that came down that said uh, online businesses now have to collect and pay sales tax. Uh, and that would mean if, uh, and I think there's a few states that have these laws, I think Wisconsin was one, I think they were the subject of the case, um, but other states may have a law that says if you sell to our residents and you sell them online, you have to pay, collect and pay sales tax in our state. I mean, if you've thought about that at all, and, and, and I appreciate if you haven't uh, because you haven't sold online previously, but it, that seems like a huge burden for a person essentially selling, uh, working out of their home to, to try to figure out what each state's sales tax law is and then figure out how to pay them. It's, it, it is cumbersome because all the states have different um, laws on this. Um, I recently did a show in Stowe, Vermont, and was made aware that I had to get um, a sales tax number for Vermont. Prior to that, I've only had sales tax numbers for Connecticut when I do private sales. Mm -hmm. So I'm already doing that. Um, but now, you know, we have to take a look at all of the states in you know in the union i imagine there's going to be an industry that arises to exactly. help deal with this that exactly. was exactly yeah. what i'm sitting here yeah. like there's a startup idea for you guys right. like yeah. somebody somebody, somebody figure out how to simplify this right now mm -hmm. yeah i mean and, and, and you know the, the, the shoe has yet to drop on that because states can legislate around that as well mm -hmm. um and i you know you're the lawyer but <laughs> but the, the you know the, the the broader subject matter here would just how do states rights sit relative to the commerce clause right and you know what can states choose you know so we don't know yet exactly how it will play out 
I think we know how it will play out in Connecticut, though. I, ha- I hate to tell you. I mean, I, I would Womp. be shocked, right? Um, so so if, if they don't run after, you know, every online sale. So, you know, so it is complicated. Well, it, it, it's complicated, but, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Amazon's already been collecting tax in yes. the states that have these laws. Yes. Um, but it's easier for a company of Amazon size. They have a they have a room full of lawyers and a room full of accountants all figuring this out, and they can file for the state registrations. I mean, it seems to me where this law really hits is yeah. – Exactly to businesses like Naomi's Jewelry, yep. right? Where you have you have a single person working out of their home, or even somebody uh, that has a shop downtown, and they're used to selling out of that shop, and they have an online business which helps supplement their income, but they're not used to paying legal fees, they're not used to paying accounting fees. Now, do they need to get the equivalent of a? I, I always think it would probably be something like an ADP payroll company, right. but instead they do right. sales tax. It seems like the shopping cart. You know, yep. uh, producers on the CMS side mm-hmm. could come up with some mechanized way <clears throat> to, you know, to intermediate this, and then also take on the liability of having it wrong, um, yeah. because that's the rule. Anyway, let's do a quick timeout on that and get back to Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Let me start. Actually, but, I have I have a <laughs> question burning in my my head. I want to know more about the the manufacturing in the U.S. because there's a lot of people, a lot of companies who just say it's too expensive. People won't buy it. People won't do it. And you know. Depending on the degree, your industry, what have you, sometimes it's more true than not. Now, you seem to be making it work. And I, I would just like to hear a little bit more about that journey. How did, how did you find the right manufacturer? What, you know, what were you running up against in trying to make these products, these jewelry here, right in the USA? Like, what were the challenges? The challenges were to find the right people to create, recreate what had already been done. And it was hard in the beginning because I was contacting people who I knew would make it the same way it was made in Bali. What I didn't realize at the time was that there could be other ways to, to make these squares. So my key component is it's a pillow. Um, it's a sterling silver square that's drilled on either side. And somebody who I, I met, um, he runs an online catalog for jewelers, introduced me to somebody who could do an, a hollow square that was not going to be um, cast. And it has impacted the price. The, my squares now are twice as expensive, in some cases three times as expensive as the ones I had made overseas. But the product can take it, and there is still an audience for it. I was nervous. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I thought I was going to have to, you know, just come up with something different, but I didn't. And I think that that speaks to the quality of the product and the design of it. And, and I think that's, that's a good point. You know, again, not every product is going to have the margin or is going to have the audience that can absorb it, but on the other hand, there's an audience for this. People, you know, and it's hard to, I'm sure it's hard to judge how many people went, we were like, oh, and it's made in the USA. I'm definitely buying it now. But, you know, I think regardless, I think there's a, it's a good move. It's a, it's a good move from an advertising standpoint, but it's a good move just, you know, I don't know, in a patriotic sense. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You know, we you can get anything made overseas these days. So it's always nice when you can find something that's not. And is still of a very high quality, and people want to buy it. So yeah. that's neat. And and it does make a difference. It's also opened up many more shows for me to go to trade shows and stores who want to be American made. And and people will ask, 
if it is. And it's featured on all of my literature now that we are American made. And there you go. That's that's exactly mm-hmm. you know the advantage now. It's it's not as much of a disadvantage as it used to be. No. Right. Chris only attends U.S. music festivals. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that, he's, he's I mean, for now. <laughs> but I also have a great American team. So mm-hmm. I have this manufacturing team that's in Rhode Island. And I can go visit them, and we come up with ideas together. I didn't have that when I was doing everything overseas. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another really interesting uh, just point. You know, there's been this big push for remote, remote working, and you know, working from home. And I worked from home for a decade, and now, you know, growing my business, I'm finding more and more I want people in the office with me. I want to be able to sit down and do that, have that back and forth, come up with those ideas. And actually, I was going to ask you, how local is it? And you're saying mm-hmm. it's right over in Rhode Island. Yeah. That's really cool. It is very cool. And um, he, uh, the person who's doing, lead, he's my lead manufacturing person, has put together for me what I need for production for when we really ramp up. We're ready to go. Um, so that's that's good also. So but, let's, let's talk about that. So how, how do you want to ramp up? Is it, is it finding, we talked about the way you prospect for business now. You have... Um, uh, a larger, uh, separate, you, you look at a larger business. We won't name it just, you know, because we won't. Um, but you have, you let them do the market research, find the locations, and they have a footprint. They have a retail footprint. Um, you can see that footprint and you follow them. You go to the towns and you, and they have a certain sort of college town, upscale, uh, suburban feel. And you can find independent jewelers and boutiques. Uh, and you sell into them. When you expand the business, is the first step to find more like that? And then what else are you thinking? The Yes, how we're rolling out is we're going down the East Coast now, and we're filling out with yep. as many stores as we can, and we're going to push out West. I have personal relationships right now with the stores, and I know that's not going to be the way it's going to be forever. But it makes a huge difference. And when the store meets the designer, they can they understand you, they appreciate what you've done, and they find it easy to talk to a customer about this person who designed this. This is the background. This is where the idea comes from. My, my degree originally is in graphic design. Uh-huh. And I know that I see the world in shapes and colors and in systems. And that is very much evident in the work I do. And that is something that these gallery stores can talk about. Um, We also do well in independent locally owned jewelry stores where they'll make um, a big deal of the brands that they carry. And I think that the best stores for us are the people who can talk about us. Um, I know that we need to have an online presence and we need to sell online. I think that when people actually see the pieces and can feel them, um, they're surprised by them. They are very substantial. They look great on. They take up some room on you and they're light. Mm -hmm. I think that surprises people. And that's something that you're not going to get you're not going to see when you're buying online. Right. So again, naomijewelry.biz, B-I-Z. 
Uh, and you do a great job on your site with you know, it, you know, illustrating the products, the collections. You know, you prominently show made in USA. Um, so you really have sort of grabbed the essence of your brand and conveyed it well online. Um, can you buy from your website directly or no? At this point, no. Oh, okay. But we will be doing that um, within the next couple of months. Oh, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So, uh, uh, another question, just going a little bit further back. You, you were you ran an advertising agency, right? And yeah. I'm wondering um, how that kind of influenced the rollout and how you did, you know, put this out there. How you, you know, how you found your audience, how you found your niche. Because you said, you know, you were basically inspired that you walked into a shop, but then I'm sure, you know, as, as a business person, you were like, okay, well now there's real work to do. So I, I'm kind of curious on that journey there, you know, how did you ultimately find and, and market this to the audience? I mean, did you, did you just start showing up with these things to people's stores and be like, Hey, <laughs> almost, um, immediately coming back from vacation. I, one of my clients was a jewelry store. One of my advertising clients, I took her to lunch. I showed her the necklace and said, asked her what she thought. She looked at it. I was, you know, nervous because I didn't know what she was going to think. She said, I like it. I said, would you sell it? And she said, yes. I said, good. And we... That was easy. It was easy (laughs) because I've been doing this for other people's products for, at that point, 25 years. Mm. So doing it for another product, one that I happen to have created myself, was in some ways easier, in some ways harder. But I had all the information that I needed. We got all of the materials done. Oh, that's that's so easy. It's just like, I have everything I need to know. <laughs> so what's happened now is that what was my ad agency has become the marketing arm of the jewelry company. Oh, that's great. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I figured, right? Like, you would ho- like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to hire someone else to do this. That makes a lot of sense. No, no. Um, but that's really cool. And again, coming from a marketing background myself, having all that information at hand, that's like nice. Yeah. I haven't had quite that client experience yet. You're younger than I am. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I'm a, it, it, I can see that kind of how that would work. But I could also see it being challenging too, because now you're also kind of your own client. And so you kind of have to answer those questions you're usually asking. And were there any questions that you kind of had to ask yourself that you had any difficulty with? Or was it just kind of like, oh, no, I got this. <laughs> Um, I think that my ad size know, knows I've got this, but my jewelry customer is just a witch to work for. I am just constantly changing. But one of the things I can offer the stores is marketing help. Mm-hmm. And we can co-op ads. You know, I'll do the creative. We'll put your logo on it. So it has become another way to help a store along. Isn't that, isn't that fun, though? It's just like, everybody needs marketing. <laughs> so it is. Can, it yeah. is a huge advantage to be able to walk in and be like, yeah, by the way, like we're going to help you like really sell it. Like We got all this stuff behind us. Let's do it. Yeah. So that's, I, that's, again, that's a really neat part of the journey. And you know, not everybody loves us marketing, advertising people, but they all need us. They do. <laughs> they do need us. But it's also, I had a template because yeah. I had a business before. Right. So I knew what I needed to do to make this business work. And actually, some of the people who worked with me in the ad agency are now working with me in the jewelry business. And to your point before, the whole sales tax question, I know how that works, mm-hmm. in Connecticut at least, because we had those systems in place then. Yep. 
Well, I still don't know how those work. You must be a great boss. <laughs> I mean, that you know, having people follow you from one business to the next is a wonderful testimonial to, to you and to your management style. No, thank you. I have great people working with me. So to wrap up, do you have any words of encouragement for someone who is listening, who is thinking about starting their own business because they find something that they love and a hobby they may want to turn into a business? Um, what would you say to them? I would say that as long as they have an idea of who will purchase their product or a service, that they should go for it. People are out there who, if you feel strongly about something, there are people out there who feel as strongly as you do about what it is you want to produce or create for people. And it's keeping your eyes open. We pay attention to what people think about the jewelry when we do shows. It's market research for yeah. us because yeah. you see what they're responding to. And it's just keep your eyes open. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. It was so nice to see you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. Finally, we would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalina for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.